So the young ones are gone, but in here we're going to have a story time. Just like we've had the last few weeks, we're marching through the book of Acts, a sermon series called The Mission. It's a mission that the church has, it's the mission that each one of us has as individuals. And the mission of the early church is told, told in story form, and so, and so we're going to do that. Two weeks ago, we talked about the first casualty, Stephan who he remembers the first martyr. And there was a guy watching that whole thing. His name was Saul. And he was approving the stoning of the first martyr. Last week, we, see that, we saw that Saul was ravaging the church, dragging, <clears throat> dragging men and women and committing them to prison. <clears throat> a real hater. Then they described the other events of Acts chapter 8. And that brings us to Acts chapter 9 where Saul reappears in the story. As I've done before, this is going to be like a, a DVD movie special feature. I'm not going to just tell a story, but I'll kind of give a running commentator commentary as if I was the director, which I was not. I'm just the commentator who happens to be in front. All right. If we could turn to Acts chapter 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So this hater reappears, and he thinks he's in the right. He thinks he's doing God a favor, a service. He wanted to be kind of like a deputy in, a, in the old American West. Remember the sheriff would appoint a deputy to you know, get, this, get this job done? He wanted to be like that, to be given authority to make official arrests. The believers had been scattered. We saw that last week. And Saul wanted to corral them and punish them. None of this should have been a surprise to them. Jesus told this to the twelve much earlier. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. Jesus knew what would happen and warned them. Later, when asked about signs for the end, Jesus told them this. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be, be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Uh, that was a lot of material. I just want to take a brief sidebar from our story and just give a short summary of what I just read. Five points. Number one, how it applies to us. Don't fall away or betray one another. Number two, don't be led astray by false teachers. Number three, 
Don't let your love grow cold. Number four, resolve to endure to the end. And number five, be a proclaimer of the gospel of the kingdom. All right, each one of those could have its own week up here. Back to the book of Acts. Saul is about to have the direction of his life totally changed. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So he's on his way to Damascus, and a bright light flashed. And he and his companions fell down. We know a little bit more about this story because he retells this twice later in the book of Acts. What was that bright light? One of the other stories, in one of the other accounts, he said it was brighter than the sun. Could this be an appearance of Jesus? Saul later said that Jesus appeared to him. Decades later, this happened to John the Apostle when he was in exile. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Same reaction. A lot of light. He falls down. Exactly what happened to Saul and his companions. And Saul asked the question. Saul is asked the question. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul responds with the question, who are you? And then the reply came, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Was he persecuting Jesus? Jesus identifies so much with his followers, and that includes you and I, that persecution against his followers, he considers persecution against himself. That's how much he embraces us. That's how much he identifies with us. When we undergo persecution because of his name's sake, he considers it, he takes it personally. And so he asked Saul, Why are you persecuting me? Saul didn't know what to do with it, he didn't know who was talking to him. But then he identifies himself I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And so if you and I fall under persecution because of our faith and trust in Him, we need to realize and remember that they're really persecuting Him. And we just happen to get in the way. 
And then he's given instructions on what to do next. Rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Kind of incomplete instructions. He gets the next step and that's it. Then his companions helped him because he had been blinded by the light. Then a three-day complete fast as he waited. Now we're going to jump to another guy who's already in Damascus. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So Jesus speaks to Ananias and gives him instructions. Number one, go to a certain place for a certain man named Saul. Number two, FYI, Ananias, this guy Saul, he's had a vision of you healing his sight. Now, Ananias knew the reputation of Saul, what he was doing, that he was arresting people, arresting, arresting the followers of Jesus and throwing them into prison. And so he gets this and, and he, he protests. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. This does not make sense to this disciple named Ananias. He's thinking, why why should I help a bad guy? I don't know if he questioned his guidance, if he's like, could I somehow have imagined this? This thing that goes very much against my own common sense? Or if he stood back and said, yeah, that, I think that really was God guiding me. But I don't want to do that. Why would I want to help a bad guy? Now, he knew about Jonah. He had a presentation on Jonah Labor Day weekend. Jonah didn't want to go help those bad guys in Nineveh. He went in the other direction. He had no inclination to help, help them. But God got after him. God really wanted to send someone to those bad guys to give them a chance. Not just write them off, but to give them a chance. So I don't know if, if Ananias here felt like a, a Jonah or what, but in any case, he just protested. But then he went with the program. That God, was, that God was presenting to him. Jesus explains further after this. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now he tells Ananias a number of things here. That Saul is his chosen instrument. You might be a bad guy now, and by all appearances, what you're doing is a foolish thing, a mistake, but I've chosen this guy for a special mission. To go before, number one, to go before the Gentiles. Now, this, I don't know how much sense that made. 
to Ananias. Gentiles were not invited into the faith at this point in time. This was a Jewish-only sect as far as, as far as the disciples were concerned. It wasn't until the next chapter in Acts where we find out that, hey, the Gentiles are invited in. Surprise, surprise. But that wasn't known at this point. Just, I, I, I'm gonna, this chosen instrument of mine, I'm gonna send, he, I, I'm gonna, he's going to go before the Gentiles. I don't know if that just went over Ananias' head, but, but he had a, a preview of what was to come. And his chosen instrument is going to stand before kings, which happened. And the children of Israel, Saul, who later named Paul, would go into synagogues. And then finally, this last one, which I, didn't, I've, I never really cared much for this part. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Do you think you or I might be called to suffer for the sake of his name? Jesus warned us that trouble was coming. So it behooves us not to let our love grow cold and also to endure to the end and to proclaim the gospel. Continuing on. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So Ananias completes his mission. A very courageous man. And then he drops out of sight for the rest of the story. But Saul takes off like a rocket. He has been thoroughly converted and proclaims Jesus boldly. And now, the former hunter becomes the hunted. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. So he, he executes a stealthy plan of escape. In those days, you'd generally have a wall around a major city for defense. And it could have windows in it. And they, came, they hatched this escape plan in the dark, we didn't have all the lights we have now, in the dark, let them out through an opening in the wall. And it, this is like from a movie, this escape. 
All right, now to finish up with Saul, whose name was later changed to Paul. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. I can understand the reluctance of the disciples in Jerusalem to allow Saul to join them. He must have looked like an enemy plant, a spy, an informer. But Barnabas, the generous man of Acts chapter 4, endorsed Saul and briefed them on Saul's conversion and preaching in Damascus. Evidently that was sufficient to allow him to be admitted. So, so Paul preached so boldly in Jerusalem that another assassination plot was forming. This is the second one. The disciples again helped him escape and this time sent him home to Tarsus. And the church didn't just grow, it multiplied. And now we turn our attention to the Apostle Peter. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. This man was perhaps a paraplegic or worse. Eight years. They didn't have like wheelchairs to get around. This guy was bedridden for eight years in a paralyzed state. You know, it's really hard. Anybody with chronic, a severe chronic medical condition, it's just, it's just hard. It's just hard. It can, it can wear on you. It's just very hard. Eight years in bed. But now Peter learned from Jesus. You see what? You just heard what happened. Remember the man lowered through the roof? The man who was stuck in his bed and his friends wanted to bring him to Jesus and they couldn't, they couldn't get in so they made a hole in the roof and lowered him. And this is what Jesus said to the man. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Very similar. Peter learned from his master. And what was the result of this encounter? Besides God showing His mercy to an individual and healing him? And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw Him and they turned to the Lord. Two whole cities because of this healing of a paralyzed man. We've seen now, this is the ninth chapter now, we've seen the place of signs and wonders and evangelism. 
John Wimber, who was kind of the patriarch of the vineyard, he wrote a book. His first book was called Power Evangelism. And in it, he describes how, like in the book of Acts, where you see evangelism, you see the activity of the Holy Spirit, such as has happened here and happened in the story of Saul. And so his contention is that it's normative for the the power of the Holy Spirit to be evident in evangelism situations. But not always was there this big an impact. Two whole cities from a single healing. I don't know if Jesus, when he was walked the earth, ever had two whole cities turned to him as a result of one of his healings. This is an incredible response. You may think, well, Peter the Apostle did this. What are my chances? Well, your chances are zero if you never try. You know, there's an idea floating around that only apostles did these things, but we've already read about two non-apostles who've participated in this. Now, in this case, it was an apostle. But both Stephen and Philip, remember those guys from previous weeks? They, they, these guys were part of the crew that was in charge of food distribution to poor widows. And then on the side, they did signs and wonders with great evangelistic impact. And so it's definitely the case that non-apostles participated in these kinds of works of God. Continuing on. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. What do you think they had in mind with that last request? Do you think they were wondering if Peter would officiate at the funeral? So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. You know, sometimes we can pray, Oh God, if anyone is worthy of healing, this person is. Look at all the good things in her life. That doesn't matter. That doesn't count. It's all a matter of God's mercy. No one can earn this kind of thing. What did Peter do in this emotionally charged atmosphere? He got rid of them. Asked them to leave. In the ensuing calm, he prayed and then knew what to do. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Whoa. Again, Peter had learned from Jesus. There was a situation where the room got cleared out except for Peter, James, and John. And this is how it came down. And they laughed at him. 
But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Peter learned from being with Jesus. He learned from that. Pretty similar, these two stories. I think Peter believed Jesus. I think he believed Jesus when Jesus told the disciples this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Now he was doing the same kinds of things. These, where it says works are, he translated mighty deeds. I mean, it's obvious, it's obvious from the context what he's talking about. And as for the greater works, I can't tell you exactly what those are, but it could be two whole cities coming to the Lord because of one healing. Is that, is that a greater work? I don't know. There's other possibilities. So we, we tend, in the church, we tend to talk about what he meant by that second phrase. We ought to be happy just doing the first phrase, doing the stuff that he did. Truly, truly, they say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Peter believed him and took him seriously and went out and did it. Continuing on. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Evidently another great evangelistic impact as a result of God showing his love and mercy to an individual through the cooperation of one of his followers. May we cooperate also. Finishing up with the last verse. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. While staying at the house of Simon the tanner, Peter would receive a vision that would change the course of Christianity. But that's a story for next Sunday. So how does this apply to us? We have a mission in this life. Together as a church and individually as followers of Jesus. I'd like to offer you three takeaways from this story from this morning, which is part of a great big story. Number one, these are three things we need. The first one is we need the courage of Ananias when approaching the enemy of his faith, or so he thought. You know, sometimes we can find it difficult to talk about the Lord to people because they might not like us or might look down upon us or think we're dumb or, in some cases, persecute us. Now, the persecution really isn't very bad in this country. In other parts of the world... 
There's some major league persecution of believers going on. Around here, it's mostly minor league stuff. But it still can discourage us from talking about Jesus with people. But this guy, Ananias, who just makes a brief appearance in this, the greatest story ever told, story of God interacting with people, he, he overcame all of that. I mean, he, he went to a guy that, for all he knew, would arrest him immediately. Oh, one came to me. I don't have to search this guy out. Well, he knew all of that. But he went with the leading of, with God's leading, and approached this guy, really at great risk to his own self. Would to God that we would have such courage in interacting with people. And we'll pray for that at the end of the service, but, but we, we, need that, we need that kind of courage to put ourselves second and put God's interests first. Because His interest is in using us to bring mercy to people. Number two, we need the boldness of Saul in proclaiming Jesus when he finally found the truth. I mean, he did. He took off like a rocket. He was a bold man. I look at that, and what boldness. And then I read in some of his epistles, the same man asking the church to pray that I would speak boldly as I ought to. It's like, this is the one guy that he sets the gold standard. And, and he's asking he's, his prayer request. Pray that I, that I speak boldly. Like, oh my goodness. If he needs boldness, if he wanted boldness, how much more should we ask for the same thing? It seems to me that we need we need it more more desperately than he does than he did. And at the end of the story, we're going to ask. We're going to ask for boldness in carrying out this mission that's been given to us. And finally, the third thing, we need the openness of Peter to the power of the Holy Spirit. As much as you and I are able, we should be looking to see what God is up to. If He wants to bring healing to somebody through us, we shouldn't just, oh, that's not my bag. I'm not called to that. How do you know you're not? What if God wants to surprise everybody and use you? No, you don't have to start out with a paraplegic or someone who's dead. But a cold or a headache. There's people that they've had their headaches healed and they, and they come to Christ. Because all they know is somebody offered to pray for them and 
I had a bad headache, and they prayed, and it was gone. That makes an impression. See, frequently it's, it's us believers that we're afraid that God's not going to do anything when we pray. The unbelievers, sometimes they're afraid God is going to do something. And encounter some power that they can't so easily dismiss. And so you and I, we need to be open to that. Open to to that being part of God's mission for us and participate in it. And you think, well, I might fail and look bad. So what? So what? So you fail and look bad. You don't have to try to protect your reputation. You try to participate with God and what He's doing, and He'll take care of your reputation. You don't need to be concerned about that. Whoever said following Jesus is for wimps doesn't know what he's talking about. Following Jesus takes all the guts you have and more. Please rise. Sovereign Lord, you who made heaven and earth, send your Spirit upon us, O Lord. Give to us courage. We pray for courage, Lord, godly courage. Courage that acts in faith and not by presumption. Courage when interacting with people in your name. And we ask for boldness, Lord. We ask for boldness for ourselves and for each other and for the other churches in this region, this Fox Valley region that call on your name. Give us all boldness in proclaiming you, O Lord Jesus. That we wouldn't just shrink back and live our live tiny lives by ourselves. But our desire is to live eternally significant lives. In all godly boldness. And lastly, Lord, we ask that you would just open us up for your Spirit, your Holy Spirit, to move through us. Lord, we, we, don't, we don't want to waste our lives, but we want to participate you with you in everything you've given to us in, in, in the mission that you, you've laid out before us. And so, O oh Lord, Sovereign Lord, send your Holy Spirit upon us to fill us up.
that we may say and do everything that you have in your heart and mind. Holy Spirit, come now upon us. We pray in Jesus' name. Nate's going to introduce a time of ministry, and then I'd like to ask Ronnie to come up for a special announcement.